14 years old. When I was around 14 years old, I had the opportunity to go on the trip of a lifetime with my local Boy Scout troop. And so, because we had the opportunity to go on this trip, we had to raise money for the trip. So the six months leading up to the trip, every single Saturday, we stood out in front of the Walmart and Conyers, and we sold little American flag stickers for a dollar. Now, if you've never done that, like stand in front of a store selling things, it's a lot harder to sell American flag stickers than it is to sell Girl Scout cookies, okay? Because people are like, whatever, what's this for? Here's a dollar. They, they just want to be done with us. And, but we didn't care. We were out there shameless asking people for money. We, we weren't exactly always telling them where we were going on the trip because we were afraid we'd get fewer donations. But we were shameless because we were so pumped and so excited to go on this trip. And the trip that we were planning to go on me and about eight other people from my scout troop was down to a place called Sea Base where we were going to be sailing on a 40-foot sailboat for a week from Bahia Honda State Park in Florida down to Key West and back. And as you can imagine, being about 14 years old, sailing on a boat for a week, we were pumped. Now, we didn't know the first thing about sailing, but we knew how to swim. We didn't know anything about sea navigation, but we were willing to learn. We didn't know anything about, about Key West, but we were just excited to go and to spend a week out in the sun and, and just lounging on the boat. And so we traveled down there with some of our leaders. We got down there and we met our captain for the week. And it was a, an older Italian man who looked like he'd spent the last 80 years of his life under the burning sun. He was just one of those guys. His skin was dark, was burned just from being on the boat his whole life. And so soon we got on there and he started telling us what to do. And we just did what he, what he told us to. He said, put the sail up. We put the sail up. Put it down. We put it down. Move to this side. Move to that side. On, on the boat, we did whatever he asked us to. And it was amazing. I mean, we would just stop at random places and we would snorkel and there'd be coral reef and fish everywhere. We'd throw lines in the back and we'd just catch fish and we'd cook them that evening and everything was going great everything was going great and then one day I, I stood in the the bow of the boat y'all know y'all know what part the bow is the front okay the front so I stood in the bow of the boat and I began looking around 360 degrees and I realized something I realized that there was no land in sight and there were no other ships in sight and I mean, at a level, that was exciting, but at a deeper level, it was kind of scary, and it made me feel a little bit vulnerable, because I began thinking, you know what, if something happens to one of us and we get sick, I mean, help isn't super close by. If we run out of fresh water, all there is is salt water around us. And if something happens to our captain, this man who actually knows how to do this stuff, then, then, then we're not up the creek without a paddle. We're literally in the middle of the ocean without a boat captain. And so I'm standing there looking at the 360 degrees around us that we're just on open water, feeling this vulnerability and a little fear and trepidation. And then in the distance, we begin to see storm clouds rolling in. Have you ever found yourself in a place in life like that? Not on a literal boat, 
but you're going through a time in life and everything seems to be going well. Maybe you're on a vacation. Maybe your bank account is finally looking good for once. Maybe all your relationships are intact and, and seem healthy. Your job is going well. You feel like life is good. And then you begin to see the storm clouds on the horizon. The doctor says, hey, I need you to sit down. And she gives you a bad diagnosis. Your boss calls you in and says, hey, we're restructuring and you know what, you're being restructured out. The mailman gives you a stack of mail and in there are unexpected bills. Someone you love calls you and gives you the news that someone you love has unexpectedly died. During these times in life, during these storms, our normal response is to exhibit fear, to have worry, to doubt and, and to try to figure out how we can hold on um, and make it through to the future. I mean, this is a common experience for all of us. And my guess is that there are some of you in this room right now who find yourself in the middle of storms. There's others of you, maybe you feel like the last season of your life has been in a storm, but now you finally kind of made it through and you're on the other side. And still others of you, maybe you're like me standing on the bow of the boat that day. Things are okay right now, but you know because you've lived enough life that a storm is on the horizon. These are the things that I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the storms in our lives because storms are common to all of us. And while we think that the chaos and the, 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 the stress and the anxiety and the damage and the storms all around us are, are normal and they have to affect who we are and how we're experiencing them, I believe that even when storms are going on around us, we can experience peace inside of us. And there's one particular story, a short story in Mark's gospel that points to us how this is possible. And that's the story I want to talk about with you this morning. And so um, if you have your Bible, I want you to begin opening it up to Mark chapter 4 is what we're going to be in. And as we open it up together, I want to say, say a prayer to God. God, would you guide us as we open up your word this morning? God, would you take my words, speak through them, speak despite them, take our hearts, meet us in our deepest places of needs, take our lives and transform them so that we can love you and love others more. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open up Mark chapter 4. If you have your phone, you know, you can go Version app or whatever. Um, and if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, I want to let you know that right now we're in a series that's going through the book of Mark, Mark's account of Jesus's life. And Mark's gospel really all points to one big question, and that question is, who is Jesus? And throughout Mark's gospel, the disciples have to figure out their answer to that question, and Mark is pushing us to figure out our answer to that question as well. Who is Jesus? And we're reading it together, and if you haven't had a chance, there's reading guides in the back and in the lobby, um, little bookmarks with daily readings on them, or you can get a paper guide. We have some people who brought them, um, where you can have the readings already printed out for you. But we'd love for you to grab one, love for you to catch up. I'm going to step out in vulnerability here right now. How many of you have been reading with us? Would you raise your hand? All right. Wow. Okay. Good, good. 
more people than I thought. That's, that's encouraging. So if you haven't, you can catch up. It'll probably take you at this point 30 minutes if you just sit down and read straight through. And you'll catch up with us and get to Mark chapter 4. And so up until this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's begun proclaiming around the Sea of Galilee, repent the kingdom of God is at hand. He's begun doing amazing miracles, healing people and casting out demons like we talked about last week. And he's begun teaching in parables. And as he's teaching, people are like, this teacher isn't like other teachers. I mean, this guy is different. He teaches with authority. He teaches with with power, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. And so as all of this is going on, one of the things you have to realize that in this region he's in, the Sea of Galilee, this wasn't like a huge metropolis with millions of people. These are small towns scattered all over this lake. And so as people begin seeing and hearing about these miracles, they begin to flock to Jesus. They didn't have endless cues on Netflix to watch every evening. So when they heard Jesus was in the town nearby the next day, they all travel and they go. They want to see him. They want to hear from him. They want to be around him. So the crowds are pressing in on Jesus. And as Jesus is traveling around, he's called disciples to follow him. And one of the ways to think about a disciple here in the scriptures is to think about this idea of an apprentice, an apprentice. These people are following him. They're learning from him. They're, they're learning how to think about the scriptures, how to live like him. Uh, they're, they're trying to figure out who Jesus is and really copy him in their lives. And, and Jesus has actually already begun sending them out into ministry to do ministry themselves. And so all of this is taking place. And one of the things that happened with the disciples is they, they used to have previous occupations. And so a number of them used to be fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. And so they were used to navigating the waters, sailing on boats. They didn't have boats that were 40 foot. Most, most of them didn't. Um, and they didn't have boats that were bigger than this. I mean, they probably had boats a little bigger than this. So they were used to navigating all sorts of different vessels on the sea, which was great for Jesus because he was traveling all over, ministering in different areas. And so in Mark chapter 4, what, what happens in verse 35 is that after a long day of teaching, Jesus comes to his disciples And he says to them, look, let's go somewhere else. Let's move. And you'll find in Mark's gospel, Jesus is constantly moving from place to place. So we pick up verse 35. Mark tells us this. That that day, when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, the other side of the sea. And leaving the crowd behind, they, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. So here we see, like Jesus, the crowds are on the shore pressing in on him. And even when he gets in a boat, people are kind of following him in the boat. So, so they're in the boat. I, would, I was planning to stand in this boat, but I don't want to fall down, so I'm not, I'm not going to, okay? So they get in the boat, and Mark tells us that a furious squall came up. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And now squall here is a specific term. Does anybody know what a squall is? A, a squall is like when, when the, the winds increase very suddenly and violently and rapidly. It's an unexpected storm that comes up. And so the storm comes in violently, 
unexpected. The waves are crashing in over the waters. And now storms wouldn't have been abnormal for the Sea of Galilee. The disciples would have been used to them because the Sea of Galilee, it's basically mountains surrounding the sea and the sea is a basin. So wind gets trapped in there and all this stuff. So they would have been used to storms. But one of the things we find is that the disciples who were fishermen who spent their entire lives on the sea, they realized this storm is not like the other storms they've experienced. This storm is a very dangerous one. And as water is beginning to fill the boat, we read in verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So the stern is the back of the boat. And Jesus, I love the picture of his humanity that we get here. He, he's asleep on a cushion in the back of a boat. Now, Jesus, this is the only time in the gospel we see him sleeping. And he's like you and me. He likes to sleep on a cushion. I don't really know why Mark provides that detail, but he tells us he's asleep on the cushion. And as Jesus is asleep and he's just chilling out, sleeping after a long day of work, the disciples are freaking out. They're freaking out because these guys, I mean, they're not like me on a boat, never having sailed, not knowing what to do. I mean, these guys have spent their lives on boats, and this storm is so bad that they're worried for their lives. And so they wake Jesus up, they shake him, and they say, look, Jesus, we need you to get up. We need you to help us. Look, we're going to die if you don't do something. And actually, do you not care if you're going to die either? We're all going to die here on this boat. Don't you care if we drown? And so in the middle of all this pandemonium on this tiny boat, Jesus gets up. Verse 39, we read, he got up. And I wonder if he yawned here. I wonder if, I mean, he's human, right? He might have yawned. Kind of like, really, guys? He got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this? This is the question that the disciples are figuring out throughout the gospel as they follow Jesus. This is the question that you and I have to figure out. And up to this point, I mean, the disciples, they, they had an image in their mind of who Jesus was. I mean, they knew he was no ordinary man because... He taught with authority. They knew he was no ordinary man because he had power to do miracles, to heal the sick, to make people who couldn't walk, walk, to cure leprosy. I mean, they knew he was no ordinary man, but they had never seen him do any kind of miracle like this, exerting power over nature. But now in this moment, the filters through which they've been viewing Jesus and trying to figure out who he is begin to change. And they realize that Jesus has power and authority 
even over the natural creation. And this was an astounding revelation for them. And now one of the things you have to remember when it comes to these disciples and even Jesus is that they grew up as part of the Jewish faith. And so they would have known the Hebrew scriptures extremely well, particularly the Psalms, which they would have prayed on a regular basis. And so it's likely after Jesus calmed this storm in the stillness of the water, the waves are gone, the storm is gone. It's likely that when they're standing there on the boat reflecting on everything that's happened, they had these verses from Psalm 107 pop into their minds. Where the psalmist writes this, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. So they're taking all of this in. They're taking all of this in and they begin to see that Jesus is no ordinary man. He actually has the power of God himself inside of him. And now at this point in the gospel, it's not clear that they understand that that Jesus is fully human and fully God. But they're beginning to move in that direction. And they're beginning to get a sense that this man is different. This man is holy. This man is perhaps the son of God. And the reason they're terrified after he does this miracle is the same reason people throughout the Bible are terrified when they encounter angels, when they encounter God. It's not a terror and a fear like they felt in the middle of the storm. This is a sense of, of holy fear, of awe at God and his power, and his holiness. And so the disciples, they're terrified as they're processing all of this. And my guess is that as the sea calmed, as the winds were gone, that from that point forward on their journey, literally and figuratively, it was smooth sailing. You like that dad joke? Yeah. It was smooth sailing after that. It was smooth sailing because the disciples, at this point now they knew that, well, anything that comes against us in the water, Jesus has power over it. I mean, this man has the power to cure all these diseases, and he even has power over creation itself. They knew that with Jesus in the boat with them, that his power and his presence was going to guide them and sustain them. So my guess is they continued on their journey. They experienced a level of peace that they didn't have in the middle of that storm. And I think the reason that Mark includes this short little vignette, and the other gospel writers do too, in his gospel to us is so that we discover the same truth that the disciples discovered that day. And that is the presence of Jesus produces peace. The presence of Jesus produces peace. And by that I mean when we recognize who Jesus is, when we recognize that he's the Lord of all creation, that he is the Savior of the world, he's the Son of God, when we recognize Jesus for who he is, and when we remember that he is in the boat with us, then we experience peace because we know his power And we know that he's with us and he's for us. 
and these storms are no match for him. So like I said earlier, we've all been through storms. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, the storms are our own creation. They're the consequences of our actions. Sometimes the storms are caused by other people and we get caught up in them. Sometimes, as we see in this passage, I mean, don't forget, Jesus led them into this storm. He knew the storm was ahead. Sometimes God guides us into the storms. Sometimes we don't really know how we got into the storm or why we're in the storm. But regardless of how we got there or why we got there, typically our reaction in the middle of storms is the exact same reaction as the disciples. It is to experience fear. It is to experience doubt. It's to wonder if we're going to ever make it through and how we're going to ever make it through. And so what we try to do in, in the middle of these storms is we try to get a sense of control. We try to manufacture peace inside of ourselves. And so we start doing all sorts of different little things to, to try and get peace inside of us even when the storm is around us. And so I don't know if anybody in here is a, is a Seinfeld fan. Anybody in here a Seinfeld fan? Okay, a few of you. So there's this one episode where one of the characters named Frank Costanza, he's going through some tough times in life, and, and somebody teaches him a mantra. And they say, look, if you just say serenity now, when bad things are going on, then, then your blood pressure will go down, and you'll calm down, and things will get better. And so throughout the entire episode, you can look at it online, people in the episode begin shouting this phrase, serenity now, when they're going through difficult times. And going through storms. And so something bad happens. They say, serenity now. And all throughout the episode, all these different people start catching on to it. And guess what happens when they say it? I mean, it doesn't really work all that well. It doesn't really work all that well. But, I mean, that's what we do, right? We, we try to come up with mantras or... We have like a, a vision board for our projected future. Or maybe we think, you know what? I'm just going to have the power of positive psychology. And if I think positive thoughts, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. We think, you know what? I'm just going to keep it all in. And that's going to be helpful. Or we think, I'm just going to vent it all out for the whole world. And that's going to be helpful. And what happens is sometimes these tactics are helpful for a little while. But they fail to produce lasting peace in our lives in the middle of these storms. And that's because peace doesn't come from any of these things. Lasting true peace in the middle of storms comes from a person, the person of Jesus Christ and his presence in our lives. And so this week when I was, when I was thinking about boats and storms and procuring this boat, it cost a lot of tithes and offerings for this boat. I'll just tell you that. Just kidding, it's used. And uh, it's not ours. We're returning it. Um, when I was going through the researching, thinking about storms and, and boats and all this stuff, I was reminded of a story of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And John Wesley, for those of you who don't know, he lived in the 1700s, and he was actually a missionary to Georgia when it was a, a new colony, when it was being colonized by England. And so he came over in, in the 1700s, um, to minister to the people here and, and to help evangelize the Native Americans. And so John kept journals throughout his life, very meticulous journals. And we have them now. 
And one of the things we find is that on his journey over to America, on the boat that he was on, his boat was experiencing a lot of storms. Day after day, storms kept popping up and kept coming on. And one day, after a number of days of storms, the storm was so bad that the main sail broke and water was filling the boat and it was beginning to swamp it. And so he writes that he, like most of us, was filled with fear and anxiety and worry and he was afraid of dying and he and the other English people on the boat, I mean, they were all screaming and it was pandemonium, kind of like the disciples were in the boat with Jesus. But he wrote something interesting in his journal. He said, in the middle of all that going on, while all of us English people were freaking out, there was another group of people, a group of German people, a group of German Christians named the Moravians. They were on the same boat and in the middle of the storm, they were worshiping. And they were singing praises to God. And so, I mean, for John Wesley, the missionary, this kind of shook him deep down inside. Because he's like, well, wait a second, I'm, I'm here afraid to die. These people are here worshiping with this confidence. And in his journal, he writes this. He says, I asked one of them afterward, weren't you afraid? And he answered, I, th- I thank God, no, I wasn't. And Wesley asked him, but weren't your women and your children afraid? And he replied mildly, no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. So Wesley's taking all this in. And as he is, he realizes that these German Christians, they have something that he doesn't quite have. And so in his journals, we find he goes to Tybee Island, then he arrives in Savannah, and soon after that, he meets up with uh, one of their pastors, a man named Mr. Spannenberg. And so he meets up with him, and he's talking to him about the Christian faith and about his experience and how he was full of fear, and all these people were full of faith, and he's trying to figure out the difference and how he can have that kind of faith. And Mr. Spannenberg asks him two questions. He says, number one, Does the Spirit of God testify to your spirit that you're a child of God? Basically, he's asking him in the language of of Paul and Romans, do you know that you're a child of God? Wesley didn't have an answer to the question at the time. So then he asked him a second question. Mr. Spannenberg said, Mr. Wesley, do you know Jesus Christ? And Wesley answered, well, yes, I know Jesus Christ saved the world. And he said, but do you know that he saved you? And Wesley thought about it, and he writes in his journal that he said, yeah, yeah, I do. But he felt like it was in vain. And so in this interaction with this pastor, Wesley He discovered that peace that was missing for him. He discovered that what produced deep peace, deep abiding and lasting peace in the middle of storms for this group of Christians was the fact that they knew that they were children of God and that he loved them. They knew that Jesus had saved them. Jesus had forgiven them of their sins and that Jesus lived inside of them through faith. He learned that it was the presence of Jesus Christ in their lives that produced peace peace for them and he wanted that kind of peace 
and that kind of presence of God in his own life. And so we read in his journals for the next few years, even as he's a missionary preaching to people, he's searching for this kind of faith. And eventually, he finds that kind of deep faith in Christ. He discovers this personal faith in Christ. And and through faith in him, Jesus Christ comes and lives inside of him. And then he begins going around England, evangelizing the entire nation. He helped abolish the slave trade. And as he's doing it, he was persecuted. People hated him. He still experienced hardship. Lots of bad things in his life happened. And this is because when we trust in Jesus Christ and have faith in him, When Jesus lives inside of us, he never promises that he will literally calm all the storms in our lives like he does in this passage here. Instead, he promises something else. I mean, with the disciples, we see that even after this, not everything was just perfect in their lives. I mean, they faced hardships. Most of them were martyred for their faith. And if you even look in our church at some of the most faithful Christians, you'll find that faith in Christ, it doesn't make them immune from the storms of life. People still get cancer. People still experience broken relationships. People still have financial troubles. All of these storms still remain, but something is different. Even when the storm is around them, they have peace within them. Because the promise of Jesus Christ is that through faith, when you invite him to come and live in you, he will come and make a home in you. He will never leave nor forsake you. And his power and his presence will comfort you and will give you peace. That's what he promises. And when we have Christ in our boat, when we have Christ in our lives, it's then we can be convinced, like Paul was in Romans chapter 8, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can know that God is with us. That God will have the final word. We can know that in the high moments of life and in the most joy-filled moments, he's there. In those moments where we want to give up and we're despairing and maybe we're just looking for a way for it to end, he's there with us. When things just seem kind of mediocre, he's there. He's in the boat with us, guiding us. Jesus Christ says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's his presence in our lives that produces lasting peace. Because what happens is we know, like the Moravians on the ship, that even if death comes our way, we will still be with Christ. We will still be with God for all eternity. And so this morning, as as we close, like that pastor asked John Wesley, I want to ask you two questions, two different ones. But the first question is this. Have you ever invited Jesus into your boat, into your life? Jesus 
isn't going to force himself into the boat. He's not going to kick down the door. Instead, Scripture tells us he stands at the door knocking. And he wants us to invite him in. And through faith in him, through deep trust in who he is and what he's done for us, when we invite him in, he comes and he makes his home inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. And his power and presence resides in us. And so have you ever invited him into your boat? If you haven't, it'd be my honor and privilege to talk with you more about how to do that and to pray with you. But I know many of you here have. And so if you have invited him into your life, my question for you this morning is, will you look to him again? Will you look to Jesus again and remember that he is God with us? And even the winds and the waves bow down to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We can't navigate the storms of life on our own, no matter how hard we try. We can't manufacture peace in our lives. We've tried and it, it doesn't last. Jesus, we confess that at times we've, we've tried to numb ourselves from the pain and the suffering and the fear in our lives with substances toxic behaviors we've tried to fill the void with people and with stuff and we confess to you this morning that none of those things work and so we ask that you would give us this morning a greater revelation of your love for us we ask that you would help us remember that you are there in the boat with us no matter the storms of life, and no matter the great moments of life. God, we ask that you would help us to recognize who you are, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who calls us his own. And Jesus, as we recognize you and as we remember that you're with us, would you fill us with peace? Would you give us peace inside of us, even as the storms rage on around us. We ask all these things in your holy name. Amen.